Miller. On this week's episode of Tiger Turf Talk, we host Mr. Michael Buris, the director of grounds for the Longwood Cricket Club in Boston, Massachusetts. This is such an incredible episode. Um, we got to dive into something that's so unique to an area like Boston up in the cold New England area that um, truly is a very difficult location to grow turf grass and being having the ability to grow turf grass in the setting of a tennis court is even more difficult as we all know um, with the traffic, high to cut, all the different things that go into what it takes to maintain a grass court. Um, and it was great to just sit down and talk with Mr. Beerus and really see what it takes to be a industry professional at the highest level, you know? And it was awesome to get to talk to him about how over the years he really has gained so many different uh, experiences that have led him to this point where he's been at the club for 27 years now um, and meeting new people. Uh, a good friend of mine, Will Lannon, was an intern up there a few years ago and uh, he absolutely loved it and it was great to get to know Mike and just really be a great uh, mentor for the next generation of turf grass managers, no matter what area they're entering and where they're going with their it's just something that truly shows how incredible it is to have new opportunities and new locales. You know, being able to go to New uh, England and have the opportunity to learn at the most difficult level when it comes to maintaining turf grass and being able to take that back to wherever they end up. It truly is a huge draw to taking a job or an internship up there at Longwood Cricket Club. We really hope uh, that the summer is a mild summer for him up there. We really can't thank Mr. Beerus enough. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Good afternoon and welcome to the 73rd episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host, Drew Miller. Today we have on an absolutely incredible guest, super excited to talk about what he's doing and what he's done for so long. Uh, we have Mr. Michael Buras, the director of grounds at Longwood Cricket Club up in Massachusetts. How are you doing today? Hi, Drew. Great. Great. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really excited to have you on. Will Lannon, a former uh, employee of yours, uh, probably the worst word to say it, honestly. That's a little mean to Will. Sorry, Will, if you're listening to this. Um, <laughs> Uh, I remember, so I remember back when he was in college, um, he had called me and he had spent some time on ball fields again, working in the MLB. And he was like, there's this really cool opportunity up in Massachusetts working at the Longwood cricket club. And I was like, dude, you have to do that. There are so many things that we don't know as turf grass managers that I'm sure that he knows beyond any of us because again it's such a difficult place to grow grass and you have the added pressure of cutting it at such a low height um what has it been like for you again being at the longwood cricket club uh what brought you to sort of this point in your career where you've been there for such a long time and a long tenure it's it's incredible um because i think that was like it's kind of like eight years ago now that he did that or something like that yeah a little little less less. but still uh what brought you to longwood and uh what has it been like for you to, again, such an incredible place to, again, experience what turf grass management really is? Right. Well, after I graduated from UMass in turf management, 
and I went to work at the Country Club in Brookline. The Ryder Cup was coming up, and I was all excited to work the Ryder Cup. The two superintendents between the Country Club and uh, Longwood knew each other, and they had an opening for an assistant, and I took it. I mean, I always wanted to work in sports turf, but I guess it intrigued me because there wasn't a lot, nobody knew anything about it. And it was a place for me to uh, gain a lot of experience right away and uh, management experience too. And try to learn something new that not a lot of people had worked in and maybe find out some things about growing grass in a different way. So I took it. And once I took it, you're stuck there. And I say stuck in a, in a good way because since the, the club started in 1877, I'm only the fifth uh, head groundsman there. So you have to stay a long time. To, That's incredible. Uh, that is truly incredible. <laughs> wow. That is awesome. Yeah, it's only been five of us. So I'm proud of that too. Absolutely. As you should be. I mean, that's, that's great history right there. And it's just something that you really should be really proud of. So um, what has it been like again, sort of, we'll get into sort of the turf side of things right off the bat. I mean, we're talking again, Massachusetts, it's cold, probably, I don't know, starting in September or October all the way through. I mean, I'm sure you're still getting snow up there some days, you know, uh, yeah, even have, today yeah. into April, you know, probably not even till June is probably when you have your warm temps come back. What has it been like for you to, again, have such the, a unique setting of tennis and what that is with traffic and all that? What has it been like for you learning and sort of perfecting in a sense to be able to have like behind you in your, your background, have the members so uh, pleased with your work and again, continuously playing at the club for I can, it's been open since, like you said, the 1800s, right? So, yeah. Oh, I, I guess, you know, we started with not knowing a lot. Like, I, we hadn't, the, all the people in the United States, there's like 20 major clubs that have grass. And none of us talked to each other. None of us had knew what was going on in England, where all the, most of the grass courts are. Um, so we just kind of, everyone did their own thing and no one knew anything about what kind of grass they were growing and how they were managing it. So that was the fun part, getting started, find out what other people were doing and, and just see what the challenges were. And obviously the first one is the baseline on a tennis court it takes an immense amount of foot traffic. So you're cutting the grass at five sixteenths of an inch and you have people running on it all day in that one little area. You try to combat that. That's an important part of it. And the other important part is the court has to be absolutely dry, 100% dry when people are playing on it. So you have this little short grass, really hot and humid days up here in Boston. And how do you keep the grass alive and healthy, but also firm at the same time and safe. So you have, you weigh all those different things every day throughout the day, like hundreds of times, even during the day to try to figure out that right balance. So every year we're trying to, those little things we're trying to use, learn from other people and other parts of turf management to uh, try to improve those things, water management and fertility and all those things that contribute 
to uh, making the grass wear better. Um, and we try to improve in little increments. Uh, and there are some big increments some people you can do, uh, like changing species of grass. And there's, in the last 10 years, there's been a lot of research in that, believe it or not, specifically in grass tennis. So that would be a big change for someone. Absolutely. So what is it that you're growing up there? Um, so, and so what is your soil profile like, again, to sort of combat that, I, again, the heat and everything, ensuring the firmness right. compared to what, again, like other sports turfs, like you said, it's right. sort of a, a whole different ball game. And mm -hmm. compaction-wise, I don't want to ever see that ever. So God bless you for <laughs> that, you know, dealing with that. But what has it been like for you? And what have you sort of seen yeah. in your research? So mo most of us in the United States have a loam or sandy loam from between 12 and 20% clay content. And that's pretty much across the board and lots of different grasses work. So we're uh, basically I'm managing Poa annua at Longwood. There's, <laughs> there's 25 grass courts, two are pure ryegrass and the other 23 or poa annua in the courts. And then between the courts, bent grass survives. Um, it can't take the wear on the court. Um, so I'm managing poa annua. So there you see the contradiction. Um, I just said the, the courts have to be dry. Um, what's poa annua need on the hot days? Water. So uh, when you have a tournament going from 10 o'clock in the morning Till the sun goes down and you have trouble watering, that's that's a tough call. How much water to put down so that you're dry at 10 a.m. and the grass is still alive at two o'clock. Absolutely. Um, so with that, again, there are so many different things that come into play when it comes to tennis and understanding the needs of the club. And just overall, how is it for you working with the club? checking and changing certain things when it comes to practices to ensure the health and safety of the plant, but also the playability for your members. And I'm sure mm -hmm. it's like a tennis match, obviously, where you're hitting it back and forth. Like we need this. No, we need that. And then it's sort of like, well, the members sort of always win in a sense, but what has it like been for you in that relationship in a sense of working with sort of all the different areas when it comes to the owners yeah. and places like that? Right. So we have a thousand members for our 44 tennis courts. We have clay courts also. Um, and we have a bunch of national amateur tournaments. So there's people coming from all over the world to play too. And so there's that, that your question leads me to one of the most important parts of my job is communication. And the agronomic part is like really easy dealing with, you know, a thousand people that, want to play tennis every single day during the summer that have different opinions about the grass is, uh, I wouldn't call it a hard part of the job, but the challenging part of the job. And it makes it interesting. I meet so many great people at the club, really. The members are awesome. And I enjoy meeting all of them from all different uh, walks of life. Um, but that that's the challenge, communicating. So I think for all sports turf managers, whether it's with, coaches or 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 uh administrators that that's an important part of the job that i think is often uh neglected i guess um communicating 
what you actually do and, and the science behind it, the experience behind it and your passion for it. Um, I think a lot of us, I, I guess a lot of us say that we hear that a lot, but also a lot of us have trouble doing that, including myself. Um, so I, I'm lucky to have this great crew that works for me, a lot of experience, uh, education, um, excellent interns that come from many of the schools around the country, usually, including Will. Well, you're uh, okay. Okay. We're not going to give you the good. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, the members have confidence in us. So I, I guess if we say, hey, the, it's lightly raining out, we need to close the courts. They have confidence in what we're saying and we close the courts. Um, but other than that, our goal is to be open every single day and not have the members know we're even there. Um, we want to do the job so they see uh, high quality courts and uh, we're not saying, hey, get air off the court because we need to water it or we need to fertilize it or we need to spray fungicide or whatever. Absolutely. That, and that's incredible. I think that I couldn't agree with you more on the fact that the one of the most overlooked sort of teachings that could come from maybe even in schools like universities and whatnot, but especially like in internships and on jobs is the communicating aspect of, hey, you're not just going to be taking care of grass because I agree with you. Grass listens to what you say and what you do. You know, it's going to it's going to adapt to what we're doing. People don't usually do that in the sense of. I say something, they're not going to just listen. They're going to have questions. They're going to be curious. They want to know what's going on. It's a skill to really be able to do that and to be able to create a, a culture at Longwood where they trust you with everything that's going on because they know that you're giving everything and you they know that everything you're doing is within the, hey, this is necessary to ensure the safety and enjoyability of the club, you know, which is awesome. And that's yeah. incredible. Um and again, I can't thank you enough for stuff like that because again, my kids who are thinking about joining the industry, like it's important to have that, you know, and understand uh, communication is more crucial than most things that you're going to learn in the classroom, you know, right. and it's, it's crazy how overseen that is in the sense of a professor in a classroom explaining certain things and just overlooking that, you know, so I, again, that's huge for me. Uh, and I appreciate that. Um, sort of to well, go then, with. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, all right, then uh, you can give me a steady supply of interns and I'll be happy to well, uh, talk. Well, that. we'll work on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's you and everyone else that keeps calling. <laughs> uh, no, but it, we've got a few kids in college and I'll, I'll pass it along to them. They're good kids. Uh, they've done good jobs, uh, good work. A couple NFL, a couple uh, golf courses. Denver, California, a couple different places, but I'll definitely let them know. Um, with everything, and again, you discussed your crew. What has it been like for you to sort of bring in and retain individuals that exceed standards, sort of mesh well? Again, creating a culture with the crew is so difficult because so many different people are so, so different in their own way. What has it been like for you developing this crew and ensuring that they're meeting the standards of your expectations and of the club each and every day moving towards the same goal. And again, Will loved it when he was up there and creating a place where they love to be there, you know, 
Uh, and that's a result mm-hmm. of your leadership and everything that you're doing to sort of, again, put together those pieces. What has it been like for you to sort of develop that crew? Well, I think, first of all, anyone that I guess I'd call it takes a chance on, on coming to work at a grass tennis club, you might think, um, oh, what do I want to work at a grass tennis club for? Where is that going to lead me to work in baseball or football or soccer or at a golf course? But I, I think it's quite the opposite because the people that have the curiosity that want to learn about that have, uh, I guess, we all have the common trait that we want to learn more. So I've been lucky that the people that have come to work want to improve the way we do things. And I think that's what keeps all of us motivated because there's a lot of longevity at the club, even within our ground screw. So that, that definitely keeps us motivated. And I think that rubs off on young people that comes, that come to work for us also. But I think in general, that's the type of personality that we attract anyways, because we're such a a different place and different um, type of grass we're growing. But um, by the way, that has not restricted people from going on to uh, work in all different types of uh, businesses within the turf grass industry. So I think it's been, it's been beneficial for a lot of people, but, but it is very specialized, but, but that, striving to make it better every day, including young people that are just starting out, trying to find out their ideas, uh, keeps us all motivated. Absolutely. And I think, and I, I, like I said before, talking with Will, the opportunity you guys present in such a unique way, you know, not just the tennis side, but like up in New England and having those difficulties and seeing how to deal with things like the heat and the humidity and then the opposite of it and all the different things that most people are cutting their grass at an inch or higher. And you're down where you just said, and it's just everything that you can learn from you and for working there. It's incredible. And an incredible opportunity for anybody who's interested in, again, furthering their knowledge. It's just, it's a crazy, crazy experience, I'm sure. And what you've been able to do has been an awesome opportunity for everyone. Um, we were talking about sort of with the motivation of the crew wanting to be better. Has there been anything that you've seen that's sort of been that best motivator for your staff, you know, and everyone in this industry knows there can be long days. There can be tough days. Uh, Mother nature hates us all. I've sort of put that in my head. Um, (laughs) But what has it been for you over the years that you've sort of been able to create to be that best motivator for your staff to, again, for the longevity, there's something there that's keeping them there, obviously, um, including yourself. What is it that you love and has been, you've been able to see that that motivates your staff when it comes to the day-to-day? I think delegating, but when you're talking specifically turf grass, where, again, the challenge, I mean, we can talk about specific challenges we have in combating where, what we're trying to do. So, um, I guess an example, like uh, we have the question of nitrogen, how much nitrogen to put down. I know it sounds pretty simple, but the more nitrogen we put down, yeah, the grass is growing faster and it recovers from the wear, but it wears faster when we have more nitrogen down. So what's that spot? So we've just in the last couple of years, we're, we're uh, measuring growth. So we're, we're taking clipping volume and trying to analyze what clipping volume we want to hit. 
um, for the court to wear best. So we're different, doing different amounts in different places to see how we do. Um, there's all the other factors, right, about moisture management and us, with us, uh, with Poa Annua in our humid area, um, uh, fungal disease pressure is really high too. There's all those other things and how much play we got and who is playing and when they're playing, all that stuff. But but that's just one example. So we're, we're the the crew is trying to figure out what what that growth is. So we have nitrogen, we have growth regulators, and we're using both to see what the right rate of growth is to, to, to combat wear. So that's just one little example of what we're trying to do, I think, that keeps us motivated. So the agronomic things definitely keep us motivated. And then I'd have to say there's a lot of good restaurants in Boston, so we try a lot of different food. So I think that keeps people motivated. Yeah, they're always like, Ooh, what's this? All right. I like this. Let's keep going. Yeah, for sure. So um, last Friday, we had some really good fried chicken from a new place in Boston. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. That's awesome. It's awesome to keep everybody interested in something new, you know, right? Um, yeah. Again, sort of talking about you're taking volume of clippings and stuff like that. What are some of the biggest challenges you face? You know, a lot of people, and I'm always intrigued, like with Wimbledon and talking to Will and all that. The right. faces, the the challenges that you guys face is so much bigger in comparison to say the wear of a, a baseball field, you know, in the outfield or whatnot. And nothing against sports turf managers that are baseball field managers. Like it's not you, but like you're such a constricted space. You're cutting at a fraction of the height. What are some of the biggest challenges that you face on an annual basis? And what have you sort of developed in your sort of cultural practices to better your situation and sort of having that grow and adapt to the year to years that you have had there at Longwood. So in general, the management of it um, outside the agronomic is being able to say, no, like, I don't think this court is ready to play and be, being confident in the decision um, or confident in the people that work in our department. I'm not there all the time. They have to know what's safe or what's good for the court and, and make the call sometimes. So beyond that, making the management decision agronomically, uh, definitely moisture management might be, you know, that's up there, number one, because uh, a baseline that's not dry is going to wear two, three, four, five times faster than one where, where the moisture is just right. And um, so as you can imagine, uh, getting that on, a, on four acres of grass for tennis courts to be, I, I guess, even on a surface that hasn't been graded since I think 1909. Right. So <laughs> by horses and by hand <laughs> is, uh. is a challenge. So there's a, a bunch of different, like, like all turf managers have, there's a bunch of different micro environments. So experience helps with that moisture management a lot and actually measuring the moisture a lot, you know, all day pretty much with, with the meter. Now with that, 
the again the meter is definitely a technology used now regularly throughout the industry whether it's sports golf even landscape companies are starting to use them right. what is some of the technology that you've sort of seen over the years that you've been able to bring in and sort of again say this will be really great to help us combat this problem or this will be incredible for just overall cultural practices speaking is there any uh technology maybe even that you haven't used yet that you're interested in like soil meter uh soil moisture meters in the ground that are there all the time um mm -hmm. that you've seen and maybe want to use and you have used just sort of technology wise what has it been for you lately that you've been intrigued by um or has helped you in the past few years well an upgraded irrigation system that where we have more control more valve and head uh sprinklers has made a big difference a huge difference the amount of water we use has gone way down in the last since we did this about five or six years ago um and the moisture meter has cut way down on the amount of water we use too um i'm reluctant we've looked at it um to turn uh the irrigation over to the computer because of all the different microenvironments um there so we look at it um but i have not turned it over yet to that look you know saying what what's the et or what how much percent of the et do i want to replace and uh having meter uh some in the ground i don't think we could put enough in the ground to have the computer decide that but based on an et yes we could do it i haven't done it yet um because i don't think because I guess because there's other factors, like it depends who's playing the next day and what the weather is going to be like the next day, what the humidity is going to be and who's going to be playing the night after. And is there a term tournament three days from now? All those things. That, I guess literally there's thousands of things that run through your mind before you decide, should I run that sprinkler for three minutes or four minutes? And like, I can't believe we obsess about details like that, but we do. <laughs> hey, that's the stuff that's a game changer. You know, it's it's hard to just hand it over and trust something that really it's a computer. And we've been on computers forever now because of COVID. But like putting your faith in what you know and your your grass and you know what needs it. And like you said, so many factors. Like I'm in my mind, I'm like, oh geez, what what is going on here? We got this going on. We got this game, and then it's just it. There's no real true way to just say the computer has it. You know, it knows that there are five things going on tomorrow, and we have to deal. With, no, it's something that again, I totally understand what you're saying, and it's it's hard to just take that leap of faith. I'm sure uh, when it comes to the computer itself. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of things we have to plan for, for what we're going to do. Say, uh, say we have pythium and we need to wash a pythium root problem. We need to wash a, or a summer patch and we need to wash the uh, fungicide into the soil. Well, we can't, you know, we got, we got to get there early. And that means I need the soil a little dry because I'm going to, from the day before, because I'm going to be adding a lot more water tomorrow morning but also we have uh, we have to mark the courts uh which is actually very uh labor intensive uh and we have to get all the mark courts marked because we're opening at 10 o'clock also so we got to get all this water down we got to spray we got to mark the courts and we have to mow 
all from when the sun comes up till 10 o'clock. So yeah, it, I'm agreeing with you. You have to, there's a thousand factors and you have to plan all this ahead of time. So what we like to say, so we don't know what the weather is going to do. So what we like to say is um, we like to do a lot of planning, but we don't make plans. Like we're that, that's that on a t-shirt. That's what we did. <laughs> so that be on a t-shirt. <laughs> so, so we're flexible. So uh, we have to be flexible, but hopefully many of the scenarios that might happen, we've thought about ahead of time. Has there ever been like a really big event that you sort of had your biggest challenge when it came to at, excuse me, at the club and dealing with it in a way that, probably is the best way to wear is like you didn't expect to happen, you know, whether it was maybe a, a irrigation line broke right in the middle yeah. of an event or something along the lines of a huge storm blipped out of nowhere. Cause they love to do that sometimes, but <laughs> what has it well, been like for yeah. you? What was your craziest well, story? You know? Uh, well, there's a lot because uh, we had, well, beginning of my career, we had the pro tour. Uh, we had, we had, an 8,000 seat stadium, which is no longer there. So we had pro tour at Longwood. So there was a, there's a lot of stories with that, with basically with the weather. Um, but just last fall, the labor cup, which is a international competition was in Boston and we were having an exhibition on our, I guess I'll call it our number one court right in front of the clubhouse. And there's four pros ready to play. We had a big crowd and, uh, Naturally, it started drizzling like an hour before they were supposed to start. So, like I said, the court can't be wet. So, there's a lot of people waiting, at, uh, surrounded about by this one court, and uh, you can't let them go out. Uh, it, these are pros that play for millions of dollars, and I can't say, "Ah, eh, just go out and play. It's a little damp. So, what if you slip? Because the slip means a torn ACL in tennis. So. Uh, you got to be really careful. So that was a lot of pressure. Like, when is the court ready? We played and took a lot of uh, blowing to get the leaves dry. <laughs> but but um, that kind of pressure happens all the time uh, with moisture on the courts, I guess. So that's always that's that's a constant pressure. Yeah, nerve wracking, I'm sure, to make that decision. Now, do you have fans on the complex or is it just portable fans that you had to bring in? Uh, it was just blowers, yeah, backpack blowers and three-wheel gotcha. blowers that we bring in. Yeah, so gotcha. no fans. Yeah, I was just curious if they let you do that. <laughs> it's funny talking to some golf course superintendents near the greens, and they're like, well, we talked to the greens committee, and you have to do this in order to give us the fans. And I was just curious if it was a possibility for you guys. Um, uh, the noise and it creating more wind, I'd say no. Probably not. Although I would like it on the Poa. Would be <laughs> I understand. I understand completely. Um, now, sort of back to Will in a sense, um, you've worked with so many industry professionals at, at the internship phase of their careers. You know, what has it been like for you to sort of be that mentor? And I, I know Will talks about you all the time and everything that you taught him and everything. Um, what has it been like for you being able to be a mentor, sort of that next generation of sports field, golf course, whatever turf grass manager, uh, when they come to Longwood? Oh, it's, it's been one of the best parts of my career. 
um, meeting people from the different universities. And like I said, the type of person that picks to work in tennis, which is a little unusual, um, usually really enthusiastic about growing grass. So, and that's what we'd like to do. Um, so we have something in common right away. So it's been, it's been one of the best parts of my career, um, meeting the different people that have taken the chance to come to Boston and work at Longwood. And I've met so many great people. Um, and I try to keep in touch with mo all of them as long as I can. And, uh, um, I'm really, I guess I'm really proud of them. They've done really well. Um, but it, but it leads me like I'm speaking to you tonight because of the network. And I think that, you know, the internship program through uh, SFMA is where I usually get people um, that the networking part of uh, my job, well, not my job, but of my career has been one of the most rewarding. So being involved with the new England sports turf managers association and the New England Regional uh, Turf Grass Foundation has been, definitely been a highlight of my career. And that I, it might sound different than the interns, but I think of it all as one, like that network that I've been lucky enough to, to be in um, for a while and met so many great people, whether they're, they're new to the industry or they've been in the industry for 30 years. It's kind of the same to me um, that we're all in it together and they're all, I like I said earlier, underappreciated managers that, that, that take on, I guess, what's the trait I'm trying to say? The trait of sports field managers that will take on a difficult situation because the field was built wrong or the weather was bad and just find an innovative way to deal with it and take care of it. And I really admire that whether, whether it's a broken pipe or the electricity isn't out at the club is out at the clubhouse or it's an agronomic problem. I, I have learned a lot from that network. Uh, so I love, I love that, you know, yeah. uh, my boss and Will's boss, former boss too, down at Virginia tech, he had this saying, it was, uh, we, the willing do, uh, the impossible for the, um unknowing so they don't know who we are they just expect it to be ready and most situations that come in our industry can be pretty insane and pretty impossible so mm -hmm. um i i couldn't agree with you more on that and it's it's definitely something i think that it's a trait and especially for like you were saying for those who want to learn and want to come to uh, boston to learn about tennis courts and everything to have that attitude and to sort of have that mantra of I'm here cause I love what I'm doing and I don't need the, uh, I don't need the, uh, accolades or anything crazy to sort of give me that, um, satisfaction of my work, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think that's, what's great about the sports field management uh, industry and as a whole, um, and one of my questions was actually, what, you sort of answered it, but what has it been like for you to be a part of the organization like SFMA and like you said, the regional ones, uh, what has it meant to you and sort of how has it had an impact on your career and what you're doing at Longwood? Well, I, I got my sports field certification pretty early and I 
fairly early in the program. And I would, you know, I ranked that up there with my degree in turf management from UMass. It was really important to me. So, um, because I knew I was dedicating my career to, to sports field management and, and, and that's what I was excited about. So it was an important thing for me. Um, so the local organizations, um, besides learning from them, I, I see we also support the universities up here, UMass, UConn, and URI that have turf programs. So um, that's an important thing, too, because, you know, funds aren't exactly great for places like that for turf research. So I'm happy that NESMA and New England Regional Turf Foundation, which NESMA is a part of, the New England Sports Turf Managers is a part of, uh, um, can help the universities up here a great deal with funding. So that's a, that's a neat thing, too, up here in New England, is New England Sports Turf Managers are part of that foundation I'm talking about. But that's also uh, the, the golf course superintendents associations throughout New England and the lawn care people in New England. So I think it's really neat that we all work together at this foundation. We're all different types of turf managers. We put on this big conference in Providence every year in first week of March and um, together, and we all work together for that. So uh, that, that, that is definitely um, a plus for NESMA up here for, for the New England sports turf managers. I, I think a that's awesome. to- a little off topic, but it's a great. No, no, no. I, and that's, thing. That's what we love to hear. You know, it, I've always said, and I forget who I was talking to uh, a friend of mine. We, I've always questioned sort of why we haven't worked together more often, you know, the, all the different areas, you know, uh, just to bring awareness of what the career and the industry options there are for the younger generations. You know, I, right. I can't, I can't tell you outside of my program, how many kids don't know about, sports turf or golf course maintenance or landscaping, you know? I, I know. I was going to say, sorry. No, you're that, good. Go ahead. Imagine saying to a young person, um, you can work outside, you can work in sports, you can go to school for this, and if you want to intern, you can basically intern anywhere you want. You want to go to Scotland and work on a golf course, you can. You want to go to Pebble Beach and work in Monterey Peninsula, you can. Or you want to work at, uh, I don't know, this is the week of the Masters, you want to work at Augusta National, you can. Um, You can go anywhere um, and work with really great people. It sounds, it's really exciting, but I'll ask you, so why aren't we drawn with with those positives, I know there's some negatives. With those positives, why aren't we getting more people to go into the industry? So, it, it's a good question because when I when I first started this, I was I was in Pittsburgh working with my former boss uh, with the Steelers, and I I sort of presented this opportunity to develop a program sort of around turf, you know, and focus on the idea of bringing that to the classroom in a high school level, you know? Um, I think right now our biggest issue is that we're facing not only like the COVID COVID-19 pandemic aftermath of the economy and what people expectations are like, 
there are so many different people that are hiring for an absurd amount of money. Places like Sheets and Burger King and whatnot, they're paying like $18 an hour to high right. school students. Mm -hmm. So again, nothing against my kids or anything, but I always talk, I always talk to them about getting out there during high school and doing a turf internship, getting a little bit of, Hey, if I'm interested, this is something I want to do. Get to know that before you go and spend your money in college, you know, um, because if you love it and you find out that you're in this and you, you had a job on a golf course for the summer, you're like, this is amazing. I love what I'm doing. Then, you know, you know, you're not wasting your money. You're not wasting your time. Um, but nowadays kids will see a dollar sign and they're like, Hey, uh, I can go work there for $18 an hour. I'm going to go do that, which it's not saying they don't want to join the industry. It's just saying in high school and they think they can make more money somewhere else. That's kind of the trouble we're facing right now, you know? Um, but the, and again, a lot of people think this, the generation right now, a lot of people think that those kids are not, they're not workers. They don't want to work. They don't want to be a part of it. They don't like the labor, you know, in the sense of having to go outside, which is not true. And it's probably one of the farthest things from the truth. Cause I have kids who, are incredible. They're hard workers. They're better workers than most of the people I've worked with in my career. Um, and totally I have great. kids yeah. and I have kids who have entered the industry. One just is graduating this spring. Uh, he's got a full-time job as an assistant at a golf course. Uh, I've had kids go right out of high school into the industry. I've got kids who own landscape companies now and they're making pretty good money. Uh, just being able to show the world I feel like our issue is, is that we're not doing a good enough job yet. You know, there are so many high schools and I, again, I, me personally, I've started working with different people across the country trying to set up more programs like ours. Um, because even if you only get two kids in a graduating class that are like, I'm going to do the turf industry, that's two more than we would have found elsewhere, you know? Most of the people I've talked to on these podcasts, and I'm about to ask you this question too, they accidentally found turf management. Like it was a friend of mine was doing this and I was like, hey, can I come along? And I was like, oh, I love this, you know? So like we had Dan Kiermaier on last week. He was a uh, Purdue graduate. He's the head groundskeeper of the Chicago Cubs. He was in his sophomore year of college. He had no idea what he wanted to do. And one of his roommates did turf management. And he's like... Hey man, what do what do you do with this? And it was like, you can take care of sports fields. And he found his way to that program. He graduated. And now he's working as a head groundskeeper of the Chicago Cubs. So like, it's stories like that that are just like so common, and that's what we're living with now. I'm trying to sort of switch the narrative in the sense of, hey, this is real. This is something that you can start at a young age. You can enjoy. You can be outside. And again. You can make a very good living if you put your mind to it and actually work. Because I think that's the biggest misnomer when it comes to turf as well is that we have uh, low-paying jobs. There aren't, there isn't much growth for uh, again pay. And I'm like, no, you have to pay your dues. You know, <laughs> like you have to work. It takes time to get to that point where you are making that kind of money. And my my thought process to them is like, well, I'll go be an engineer. I was like. My roommate in college was an engineer. He makes $60,000 in Northern Virginia, which is a very high cost of living. So it should be way higher than that. I was like, 
graduating with a turf degree, kids are with a two-year degree becoming assistants on golf courses, making more than that. Like, mm-hmm. it's all about finding the right space for yourself. And we need to sort of show that in a sense. And I think high school programs like mine have been able to do that. But I think that our industry organizations are starting to figure out, okay, well, if we put more stuff out, like, so for GCSA, the greens, uh, first green initiative they're doing, going out to elementary school classrooms, having them come out to golf courses, doing a science fair sort of thing, giving that thought and saying, Hey, look, this is actually a thing. That's stuff that we have to do better at. And things like this, like, People ask me why I'm still doing my podcast because we created it because of the COVID-19 pandemic being fully virtual. My kids still watch these and you guys give such great content and understanding of what this world could be for them. That's why I keep doing it, you know? Um, and I'm babbling, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> um, but I really think that's been sort of the issue of bringing in that next generation. And we're I'm just trying to flip that switch, you know, and flip the narrative and say, hey, we can bring in that next generation. They just need to know who we are, you know, mm-hmm. um, which again, things like this, things like signage, we have big banners on our facility that have sports field management association, like making sure they know like this is more than just a, a field, you know, there's so many things that are out there for them. Um, now with the question, yeah. What brought you to turf? How did you find? How did you find your way into again that sports field management? And then to, uh, we we sort of heard how you got to Longwood, but what brought you to sort of the idea of joining the industry? So I was a little older uh, in my twenties, and I wanted to do something different. So I read. <laughs> I, I was reading a lot about careers. Like I had no idea. Like I, I don't expect 18 year old kids to know what they want to do. I was whatever, 26. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I read this popular book called what color is my parachute. And it talked about creating your own job. Like take, take two or three things you really like to do and don't worry about whether they match or not and see where that leads you. So I knew I liked growing things and I love sports. So I, this is before the internet. So I'm in the library looking at like majors in this big fat book. And I see that UMass has turf management. I'm like, what, what is that? And so I actually made an appointment, this old guy, I was older than, you know, a lot of the students there. And I drove out there and I, like interviewed them what's turf management and I found out about it I'm like oh my god this is exactly what I want to do so I did that and I had a professor that helped me get an internship and I was off that was that was it so that's how I got into it I read a book and found out UMass had it I love that you know because it's so unique to again have that thought like what can I find that matches these things in my life that are, I, again, are my enjoyment. And I think that's incredible. Um, and again, my, my thing is just making it a little bit easier finding it, you know, I think, and people disagree with me on this because high school students aren't reliable and whatnot. And I, and I understand that, but like, I think the most untapped source for the future of our industry are high school athletes because they love they love sports. They wouldn't be playing it if they didn't. 
you right. know, it's yeah. their passion. It's why they, they go to school half the time. When you look at the, when you look at the kids that are in those programs and those athletes, like half the time is like, I hate school, but I love athlete athletics. I'm going to make sure I have everything good so I can stay on the team. So mm-hmm. kids who 98% of them are not going to make it to the next level. Mm-hmm. We're that opportunity to get to the next level. We have avenues to get to golf courses at the highest level, MLB, NFL. And like you said earlier, you said, you said it's spot on. Like you can go anywhere you want to go in this world with this industry. You know, that's, that's one of my biggest stories in class is talking to my kids. Like if you want to go work, like you said, Pebble beach, top of the line, like you can, but if you want to go and live some podunk town in the middle of Colorado, where no one's going to find you ever and work on a minor league stadium or a golf course or a landscape company, and you're happy with that, that's what you can do. You know? Absolutely. Um, So, and that's, I think that's, what's been sort of incredible about everything that sort of coincides with this industry. And you talk, you touched on it with the people you work with. Again, I, we've met so many incredible people over the past two years with this. And in my career, all of my former bosses, like I, I owe them everything because they, they sort of made me who I am today, you know, um, whether it was the knowledge they gave me, whether that was the mentorship I needed, like, it's incredible to see again, that growth in our industry. And I think we're heading in the right direction. Again, we just need to be more vocal or visible of whichever words right there, but, uh, um, sorry, I'm babbling again. I guess no, I know. I noticed, um, Maybe it was two weeks ago, the whatever, wherever the PGA tour was, you know, first of all, they always mention who the superintendent is, uh, not enough, but they do. But one of the spots was sponsored by GCSAA. And actually I was thinking, boy, imagine uh, if the Red Sox were on and they got to speak with Dave Miller for a minute about the fields or, or even just mention who the sports field manager is that would that would go a long way um, on the wall. SFMA. <laughs> I've been saying this yes. for years, like just go all out. Whichever one has the most national televised games buy a wall pad mm-hmm. sports field management association, where the game begins. Boom. Sorry. Go ahead. Yes. I can interrupt. Yes. Uh, yep. I agree. Now being up in Boston and everything, what has it been like for you sort of, creating your own way and again it's been incredible talking to you about everything that you've sort of done and everything that's sort of come from it what has it been like for you and your experience with turf turf grass management i can't talk either sorry (laughs) uh when it comes to sort of building your home you know and it's it's more of a personal thing compared to the work thing like what has it been like to sort of creating longwood cricket club as your home and sort of what you've done over the past few years, I mean, few de- how long have you been there? Sorry. <laughs> 27, I guess. Again, like that's home there. There's nothing more home than that. You right. know, what has it been like for you creating your home there? Uh, like, well, like I said, I've met a lot of uh, members that I've known for 27 years. That's been great, really great. And, and our facility is right in the middle of the property. We're in the city and we're landlocked, so we're very tight. So the grounds crew is working. I know I said I don't want them to notice us, but but they have to. Our garage is right next to the tennis courts, and we're right in the middle of it. And 
our offices are in the club, actually in the clubhouse. So um, it is like home there. It, it's a good way of putting it. Um, not for me, but I'd say for our crew and their families because of the longevity of many of us. So um, my one of the assistant superintendents, he's on year 41 at Longwood. So yeah, it is family. It is family. That is truly incredible. 41 years. Wow. Um, now we wrap up on these last two questions and I'm always, this is, these are my favorite questions because it's so awesome to see what you guys are talking about and what you guys think is the best way to uh, approach these things. Um, yeah. If there was something that you could know, and it's not to make things easier or better in any way, shape, or form, if there was something you wish you knew when you first started in this industry, what would that be? Uh, how to communicate better with the users. Definitely. No question. No question. It's not an agronomic answer. It's a management answer. Definitely. Absolutely. And not... not, not that they're unreasonable or, or, or unfair. It's just explaining what we do in a better, in a, in a, in a, in a good way. Absolutely. It's definitely. So uh, I guess yeah. that's a kind of a cliche, but I really believe that. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. You know, and I, something that I always hit on in class is like, you have to be able to communicate with your peers in a proper way. You need to be able to communicate with the adults better in certain ways, like obviously it's completely different, like dynamic in a, in a school building, but like having those professional conversations, understanding that, okay, this is what I need you to understand, but I don't want to upset you and sort of push what needs to be pushed and understand when to bring back, you know, all of that is important. And I try to explain that in the best way that I can to a high school student, but it's definitely important skill to have for sure. Right. Believe me, I'd rather show up at work and work hard, but just say, I'm mowing the grass today. I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> and I'm just going <laughs> to enjoy what I really love, enjoy doing, mow the grass or water the grass or whatever, or verticut the grass or aerate the grass or anything like that. This but is happy that place. isn't a reality. So I wish I was better at that other part. <laughs> One hundred percent, and I couldn't agree with you more on the other stuff. That's my happy place. Plug in. No one is here except for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but the last question is: What would be your best words of advice for students like mine who are looking to enter the industry? And what is the best way to sort of approach these next few years and making those decisions, whether that's going to college or just straight into the industry? What would be your best words of advice for them? Um, don't settle for just the local place because it's really easy, whether it's at fast food or working in turf grass, don't settle for it. Like you're in a time of your life where you could try anything. So go for it and try it. Um, and try something different um, and see what you like. And, but do some research too. Don't just settle for hey, this place would, sounds like it's okay, you know, go to work for good people. And there's so many in the industry that would be willing to help you um, do that or talk to your teacher or talk to your professor about a good place to go and take a chance. And you have the rest of your life to 
get up at four o'clock in the morning and mow greens at the local golf course, try something different. Love that. Because again, especially now this day and age, kids love to be home and it's, it's with after COVID-19, there's even more of a affinity to staying close to home. So it's definitely important. And I could agree with you more on that. Um, I want to thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been great talking to you and having this opportunity to discuss everything you got going on up there. Um, thanks for taking care of Will. I know he can be a handful. (laughs) He's great. He's great. He is great. He's a great guy, but, uh, thank you again so much for taking the time. Okay. It was really nice of you to ask me to be on here and thanks for doing it.